Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Okay, today I'm going to preach a sermon, and I have so much that I want to go over, so I got to get rolling. Uh, the Lord put it on my heart a few weeks ago to preach a very specific sermon, and I believe it's going to take me two weeks to do it. So I'll start it this morning, and in the sermon mini-series that we're starting today is called Reconstructing the Family. Reconstructing the Family. And so I'll kind of tell you the premise behind this. How many of you guys know Christmas time rolls around and, and what is Christmas time for a lot of people? You know, unfortunately, some people don't have family and, and obviously, you know, we'd love to have you part of our family here. But for a lot of people, Christmas time is family time, right? You get around family. Amen. You get around people. Maybe you don't see them very often. You maybe see them once a year. Who knows? But uh, I want to give you some statistics here. And why the Lord wanted me to preach this, I've actually never preached on this before. So this is going to be something fresh. All right? So here's some statistics. And I'll make it, I'll give you this statement before I give them, that we live in a society that is designed to deconstruct the family. I don't know if you've known that. If you've never heard that, I'll tell it to you again. We live in a society right now that is designed, not by chance, specifically designed to deconstruct the family. And what do I mean by family? You know, the, the nuclear family, a man, a woman, together in a home raising children. Society is designed to undo that. And I'll kind of talk about some of this, but did you know right now that divorce rate is 50%? 50%. You know what that means? Out of every two people that get married, statistically, out of two, one of those two will get a divorce. Statistically, out of every two couples that get married, only one of those couples will succeed and, and uh, have a lifelong marriage. And now, again, if I, if I say anything, I want you to hear me. I am not here to condemn anybody. I'm, if you've been divorced, if you've been through that, this is not a message of me whacking you over the head saying, how dare you, that's wrong and, and horrible. I'm just giving you the statistics because the reality is everybody that's in this room has grown up in the society that is hell-bent on deconstructing the family. And hopefully through the word of God, we can totally break free from that oppression. Okay, so divorce rate, 50%. Did you know that in America, marriage is actually declining? That it's declined 5% since 2015. What does that mean? More people are getting divorced and, more pe and less people are getting married. You know, more people are shifting towards this lifestyle, especially my generation, coming up of who we don't need to get married. We just, we're going to live our own lives. We're just going to have our own careers. We're going to do our own thing. Less people are getting married today, statistically. Did you know that 40% of children are born outside of wedlock as of nine years ago? And again, if you've had a child out of wedlock, there's, there's no condemnation to you. I'm just giving you the statistic. 40% uh, of children are born out of wedlock as of nine years ago, and that actually gives way to this next statistic that 38% of kids are raised by a single parent. 
That means most of the time, the single parent statistically is a mother. 38%, almost 38% of kids do not have a father in the home. You know, and I'm going to tell you something. That's not the way that God designed it. How many can agree with me? That's not the way that God designed children to be raised. Hallelujah. And if that's your situation, I'm telling you, there's nothing that the devil did that God can't undo for you. Amen. And so I could go on and on and give you statistic after statistic to prove to you that we are living in a time where society is designed to deconstruct the biblical family. Can you agree with me? Okay, so I'm going to deal with three things. I'm going to deal with marriage, I'm going to deal with husbands, and I'm going to deal with wives today. I've never preached on this, all right? So you guys are along on the journey with me here this morning. Praise the Lord. So let's start with marriage. If you're taking notes, write this down. Let's talk about marriage for a moment. And I'll say this about marriage. Marriage is the second most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life. Marriage is the second most important decision. What's the first most important decision? Giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life. And if you have not done that or you did that at one time and you haven't followed through with it, I will give you an opportunity at the end of this service to make things right with the Lord because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. But marriage is the second most important decision you'll ever make. I'm going to tell you guys something that your marriage will honestly... Your marriage will determine whether you make it or you don't. The person that you marry, women, the men that you marry could potentially determine whether you make it in life or you don't make it. Men, the women that you marry will, could potentially make the difference between whether you make it or you don't. It's the second most important decision you'll ever make, so it's not a decision that you should take lightly. Hallelujah. Okay, so let's define marriage. Look at Matthew 19, 5 through 6. This is a very good biblical definition of marriage. Jesus said this. This explains why a man, say a man, leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife. Say wife. And the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined. This is just an extra tidbit, but if you're married in this room, let that sink in. Let no one split apart what God has joined. So anytime that something comes into your marriage that's trying to bring division, I don't care if it's a family member, I don't care whatever it is that tries to bring division between a man and his wife, you know that it's not from God. Don't ever get the thought that, well, maybe the Lord, you know, maybe I married the wrong person and now the right person is out there. I'm going to tell you something. The moment that you got married, that person just became the right person. I don't ever want to hear that from somebody's mouth that, that they say that, that, well, I married the wrong person, so I'm going to get a divorce and I'll just go find the right person. The moment that you got married, you, that, that just became the right person. And I'm going to tell you that a, true, a truly happy marriage is not about searching for the perfect person and situation, it's about becoming the perfect spouse in your marriage. It's not about who you really, who you marry, because I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people will say, well, we got together before we were saved, and he was messed up and I was messed up, so we're just hopeless. No, you're not. You can still become the man and woman of God that God's created you to be and have a very healthy, happy, successful marriage. Right? Okay, so... I'll give you this point, number one, about marriage. 
How is marriage defined in the Bible? It's defined as being between a man and a woman. Between a man and a woman. It doesn't matter what any government legalizes. Marriage can only be between a male and a female counterpart. All right? Amen. There's no other thing. Well, what about in this day and age? Well, is marriage okay even though it's two women that got together and that state legalizes it? It's, It's defined in the Bible as a man and his female counterpart. That is God's definition of marriage, a man and a woman. Give you another thing. You guys ready? I'm going to be bold, but I love you, okay? It says, number two, define marriage. It says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. It says that he leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. So here's the point about marriage. You are instructed to cleave to your wife, not your girlfriend. So what is marriage? It's not two people that simply get together who are not in a covenant before man and God, who simply live together, who simply sleep together, who simply coexist in a life together. A biblical marriage is a man and his wife, not a man and his girlfriend or a woman and her boyfriend. Are you with me? Again, we don't condemn anybody if that's a situation you find yourself in. We've had people come in here and get touched by the Lord, and I'm doing weddings all the time, getting people married. Amen. They're like, well, I need to get that right. Praise the Lord. Living with someone, and I want to say this, living with someone does not make them your husband or your wife. You actually hear people say that. They'll introduce a person as their wife, but they're not actually married. They're not in a covenant before God. They just have lived together, and they, they use that term. That is a covenant term. Are you with me? You know, again, and it, it's... I'm going to tell you, no relationship will last without covenant. If you just simply say, we're going to live together, but we're not going to get married. Why are we not going to get married? Because I don't want the, I don't want the, the uh, obligation. I don't want the responsibility. I don't want the commitment. I'm going to tell you, you can never have a healthy relationship doing that. Because a covenant is till death do me part. What do you say when you get married? For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do me part. I have died to myself and have entered into a covenant in which now I live through this person that I've joined this covenant with. Are y'all with me? Okay. Um, So, I'll say this about marriage too. Sex with someone you're not married to is condemned in the Bible as fornication and cannot be the lifestyle of a person who will inherit heaven. So again, if you are not married and you're living with someone that you're not married to and people say, well, we live together, we don't sleep together. I I know I'm getting touchy, but I'm just being honest with you. Sex with a person you're not married to is defined in the Bible as fornicating. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that those that enter into fornication will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It also says those that commit adultery. What's adultery? Being married to someone, but then having sex with someone else that you're not married to. What is, it says those that commit adultery, those that fornicate, those that practice homosexuality cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So my point is this, is that uh, living with someone that you're not married to, it cannot be the lifestyle of a person who will inherit heaven. You can be in that situation and Jesus will save you, he'll love you, he'll forgive you, but once he does, you've got to come out of the situation. 
If you find yourself living with a person you're not married to and the Lord gets a hold of you and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, you're confronted with two options. Either I leave this relationship to make things right with God or we bring this relationship into covenant with God to make things right with the Lord. Are y'all with me? Okay, another thing about marriage. You must leave and cleave. Say leave. You must leave. You know, again, you kind of see this. Being married... It's not finding a girl and bringing her over to mom and dad's house to live in the basement. Are you with me? When you get married, the biblical model of marriage is you need to leave the covering of your father and your mother. Guys, and I'm not talking about a temporary situation. I'm talking about a mindset. You leave the covering of your father and mother and you're joined with your spouse, with your wife, in your own family, in your own home. Are you with me? Starting your own lineage, you must leave. Say leave and then cleave. People are doing that backwards. Again, they're just shacking up. It's like kids, especially my age, kids want to get married. I can't tell you how many kids that I know from Bible college that get married and live off of mom and dad's bill. No, you're just, you're just like playing mom and dad, playing spouse, living off mom and dad's bill. When you get married... That person, men, that woman becomes your financial responsibility, not the father's financial responsibility. I love my father-in-law. He's in the back. But when I told him I wanted to marry his daughter, he told me, he said, okay, I'll let you do it. But I want you to know when you get married, she's your responsibility. And he made that clear. And I'm going to tell you, I respect that so much. You know, so stop walking around. If you get married, you decide to do that. Don't walk around expecting your family to pay your bills for you. Are you with me? It's your responsibility. You must leave and cleave. Are y'all with me? And I'm, I know people fall on hard times and thank God for family in those situations. But I'm talking about a mindset here. You know, there, maybe, maybe y'all older people, it's not an issue with you, but a lot of people my age, they, they have no problem thinking, I could be married to this woman and and live for 10 years with my parents still paying my bills and and taking care of my responsibilities, and they're okay with that. That's not a biblical mindset to have. Can you say amen? Okay, so you must leave and cleave. So I'm going to say this too. You must leave the covering of your parents and cleave to your spouse. So I'm going to give you this instruction about marriage. You cannot allow your parents to dictate your children, your marriage, or your life. Listen to me, those that, get, that are in marriage covenant in this room. You need to respect the authority of your parents. You need to honor them, love them, listen to wise counsel. But there is a problem if you're married and your parents are dictating your life. They're making the decisions. They're trying to influence. This is how you need to raise your children. This is how you need to live. This is what you need to do. No, you've left that covering and you've entered into a covenant with a man or with a woman. And I can tell you, problems arise when parents are in the ear of a spouse speaking in a direction that is opposite of the direction that that couple is trying to go in. You know how many marriages get messed up because a man and a woman, they come together, and then you got a a, a man, and his mama's back there yapping, and and it's causing all this division between a, a man and his wife? Or the flip side, you got a woman and their dad or mother or whoever is just yapping in the ear, causing all this division between a man and the wife. You leave and you cleave. And then parents, say parents. 
You must allow your children to leave and cleave. What does that mean? Stay out of their decisions. That means this. Listen. If they don't ask you for your two cents, don't give it to them. Will that cause some problems for them sometimes? Probably, because young people do stupid things. That they, they burn their hands on stoves they never had to, but you'll do a whole lot better just staying out of it and, 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 and letting them figure it out and being present, being willing to help, but don't insert your two cents and try to dominate your children's lives once they get married. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's go on to this. Let's talk about a woman's role in a marriage. So marriage is between a man and a, wo- and a woman. Amen. So let's talk about the different roles in a marriage. So number one, are y'all ready? Oh my gosh, here we go. Let's start with number one, the woman's role in a marriage. It's a very controversial message to preach in 2022. Especially when they don't even believe that, you know, a woman's a woman. I'm like, I don't know about y'all, but if I was a woman, that would tick me off. I'm like, you, I sat here and birthed these kids, did all this stuff, and you're sitting over there with something dangling down there, and you're going to sit here and try to claim womanhood? No way. There ain't no way. That would tick me off to no end. It's like, you haven't been where I've been to earn that badge, my good sir. A woman's role in a marriage. So according to the Bible, say the Bible, let's examine the description of a successful woman. In fact, the Bible tells us what a successful woman looks like. And so we can answer this question. What does it actually look like to be a successful woman according to the Bible? Look at Proverbs 31.10. It says, who can find a virtuous wife? Say virtuous. That word virtuous it's actually better translated. It means wealthy, efficient, and successful. So you could read it like this. Who can find a successful wife? Who can find an efficient wife? Who can find a wealthy wife? For her worth is far above rubies. I'm going to tell you, it's so important who you marry. That Brother James, he could tell you how I hooked him and, and Hannah up when they were Young, and I told James, I I told him, I I pretty much picked his wife out for him. I was like, listen to me, man. If you've ever listened to me, I was like, this woman, you can trust her. I told him, I was like, you know how important it is to have a woman that you can go to work and not, not think a second thought about, that you can trust, that you can build a life, you can build a family. And, you know, the culture tries to tell you to chase this thing and chase that thing. And I said, I mark my words, I say, if, if you'll listen to me, in 10 years, you'll look back and say that was the best decision that I've ever made. Hallelujah. James, was I right so far? It's the second most important decision that you'll ever make. And if you can find that type of women, husband, the Bible says her worth is far above rubies. That means it's one of the most valuable things you could ever get in your life is a good woman. Praise God. In fact, it says the man that finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. It's a gift from God. So a wealthy, successful, efficient wife. So Let's go on to read. Turn to Proverbs 31 if you have your Bibles. Is this helping anybody so far? Good. Good. If you're not offended yet, 
Hopefully you won't be in just a moment. Proverbs chapter 31. How does the Bible describe this? Who can find this successful wife? How does the Bible describe this successful wife? Look down at verse 10 through 29. It says this. Who can find a virtuous, capable wife? She's more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her. She will, bring, she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a, a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household. Say her household. Yeah, that's interesting. So far, a woman, look at this role to the household. It says, and plans the day work for her servant girls. It goes on to say, she goes and inspects a field and buys it. And with her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong and a hard worker. Say a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. And her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread and her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and she opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspread. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits in the other, with the other civic leaders. She makes a belted linen of garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. It says she's clothed with, clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise. She gives instruction with kindness. She carefully watches over everything in her, what? Say household. And suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. Husband, I heard it said, it pays to praise your wife. Come on, somebody. Some of us just need to fix that. You're like, I don't really have that great of a marriage. If you would just praise your wife a little bit more, you'd have a lot better marriage. I'm telling you. The dinners would get better. The house would get cleaner. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not trying to be demeaning. I promise you. This is going to be good. I'm, I'm going to get on the women, and then I'm going to get on the men, too. So you guys think this is all about the women. No. So it says... There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. So, look at this. As defined in Proverbs 31, a successful wife was not the president of a company, but an excellent mother and wife. So the Bible described a successful wife not being, look at that. It didn't say anything about she was a CEO, she was a president. It defined a successful wife as an excellent mother, say excellent mother, and an excellent wife. You guys ready for something controversial? According to the Bible, the main role of a woman is to tend to her household, her husband, and her children. Come on, somebody. And again, I know we live in a day and age that tells you separately or differently, but according to the Bible, say the Bible, the main role of a woman is to tend to her husband, her household, and her children. So we just read that in Proverbs 31, but look at Titus chapter 2, 3 through 5. Is that just one isolated text? No, it says, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, look at this. 
they should teach others what is good. It goes on to say these older women, look at this, these older women must train the younger women to do what? Love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, and to work in their homes. Say, wow. To do good, to be submissive to their husbands, then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Look at 1 Timothy 5.14. I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own, what? Oh, we don't have, do we have the verse up there? Take care of their own, yeah, their own what? Say their homes. Say their homes. Say their homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. So it's interesting. You look at Proverbs 31. You look at Titus. You look at 1 Timothy. The role and assignment of a woman is to take care of her husband, her children, and her household. Come on, somebody. Amen. I'll elaborate a little bit more. Let me say this, too. Staying home does not give you permission to be lazy. So when it talks about a woman that stays home, that doesn't mean a woman that stays home and doesn't go to work while the husband goes and wins the bread. And what is she doing? She's sleeping in until 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Or she's sitting around on her phone. No, it says that she works late into the evening. So what does it mean? You work excellently in the home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that's really the main role of a woman, to tend to her husband, household, and children. And I want to make this point. I'm not saying that women can't work, okay? I'm not saying that women can't work, but it is wrong for a woman to sacrifice her family for the sake of a career. I, you know, I think it's great if a woman wants to go to work, but we live in this mind mentality, where it's like, let's have these kids, let's have these babies, let's get married, and then a few years into it, I want a career. I want, I want my own thing to call my own. I want to do my own thing. And, and they end up sacrificing their main calling as a woman to pursue after their own career. That's not a biblical mindset. That's not a biblical mindset. So, I'm not putting restriction on you. I'm just showing you the roles of a wife according to the Bible. And again, you have this idea, especially in 2022. This is what I mean by the deconstruction of the family. You have a woman who's got her own career. Right, I'm going to live my own life, have my own career, and then the husband has his own career, and it's like they just live two completely separate lives, but yet they share children and they share a common space. That is not a biblical marriage. Can you say amen? amen? I will say this, that if the woman is to go to work, and I'll deal with some of this more, it needs to be in a way that is in unity with the purpose that God has placed on that couple. There needs to be unity of purpose that both couples are working toward if they both have jobs. Are you with me? So it's not just... It, Again, I'm not trying to tell you that a woman has to stay home and push the mop around. A woman can go to work, but you can't do it at the sacrifice of your own children and your own family for selfish motive. Are you with me? And also, if you go to work in a, in a marriage, if 
both spouses are going to work, there needs to be a common unity. What is the purpose that God has placed on that couple? They may have separate jobs, but in those separate jobs, they're working towards a common goal, which is the the destiny that God has put on that couple. Hallelujah. And so I truly do believe this. I'll deal with the men in a moment, but I believe that the Bible's clear about the woman's role to the, to the household, to the children, and that the man's role, I'll get to this, is, is the role of being a provider. And, and we live, this is what I mean by deconstructing the family, guys. We live in a society that is doing everything that it can to sin with, with gas prices, with inflation, with all of these things that both parents have to work full-time, sometimes two, sometimes three jobs just to meet ends meet. Haven't you th- don't you think that that's interesting that even 50 or 60 years ago, a man could work a common blue-collar job and, and I mean, it, and at least take care of his family with it? But now it's like it, it requires multiple incomes just to meet the bare necessities unless you're going to live off of government dependency. Are you all with me? And so what are your parents, right? Are your parents? So you kind of kind of think about that. What, what are they trying to do here? They're trying to get both parents at work, 10 hours, 12 hours a day, and then these kids are just being shuttled in like, like cattle to, you know, to the slaughter into this public education system that is training them to be citizens of the society that they're attempting to create. Are you with me? And again, there's nothing wrong if your kids are in public school. I'm not bashing you. I'm not condemning you. But if you haven't woken up yet, there's a very demonic agenda that's being pushed through the public school. What reason does a kindergartner need to know about sexual things? That's just absolutely ridiculous. Having to teach these kids that a boy can be a girl and it can also be a cat and it can also be, I mean, it's the most ridiculous things. Even in English now, what's your pronoun? They, there, are. I mean, you're literally, these little kids that are learning that, it's confusing. That's actually contrary to how the English language works. You can't refer to a single person in the plural form. It's, imagine a kid that doesn't know what we know that they're confused. Like they can't even write a sentence anymore because they're so confused. Anyways, so if you're in that system, I'm, I'm here to tell you, you can use your faith to break out of that system. Come on, somebody. There's a way, there's a path that God has for you for a man to be able to still make a good living and to not have to sacrifice his children on the altar of society. And for the woman to be able to be a helper to come alongside the man and help raise the children. Hallelujah. Okay, let's look at the duty of a wife. I'm going to talk about two things here. Number one, I got to get rolling. Number one, a duty of a wife is number one, a helper. Say helper. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I like the way the Amplified reads this. It says, now the Lord God said, it is not good, beneficial for a man to be alone. What does that tell you? God did not create us to be alone. It's not beneficial. He said, I'll make him a helper. And look at this, one who balances him as a counterpart, who is suitable and complementary for him. So say a counterpart. Here's my point for the men. Listen to this. Your wife has gifts that you don't have. Can someone say amen? 
So don't despise her differences, but embrace them. They are a key to your success. Hallelujah. So men, stop trying to make your wife to be you. They're not you. They're not meant to be you. In fact, God made them different for you, and they have gifts that if you'll just embrace those gifts, your life won't get worse. They'll get better. Hallelujah. I want you to say this. If you're a man, say, God gave me this woman to help me. Praise God. And some of us need a lot of help. Amen. So number one, the role of a woman is to be a helper. Number two, the role of a woman is to, I'm going to use a very, look, you already see it on the, on the word. You guys ready for this? I, I know. This just irritates people to no end. Submit. Say submit. Some of you couldn't even let the word roll out of your mouth. You're like, it's turned into, I know, people have used that word abusively. Uh, but I want to show you some of this in the scripture here. Say submit. There's no getting around it. Look at Ephesians 5, through 24. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He gave, he is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. That word submit means to arrange under, to subject oneself, to yield to. Just going to rapid fire some verses here. Ephesians 5.33. Again, I say to each man, you must love your wife as you love himself. And to the wife must respect her husband. Say respect. That word respect actually means reverence. It means to treat with difference or reverential obedience. Think about that. Wives, treat your husband with reverence and reverential obedience. 1 Corinthians 11.3, but there's this one thing I want you to know. The head of man is Christ. The head of woman is what? Man. And the head of Christ is God. This is actually the government of how God set up a home. You got God at the top, the head of Christ, of, so you have woman, the head of woman is man, the head of man is Christ, the head of Christ is the Father God. You get that out of order, things are going to never work. 1 Corinthians 11.10, for this reason, because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under authority. A lot of people are like, well, why don't we wear rags or coverings? The Bible goes on to explain that God actually gave the woman her hair as a built-in covering for her head. But the whole point is that covering is to show that you're under the authority of your husband. Say authority. Look at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. 1 Peter 3, 5 through 6. This is how holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and they accepted the what? Authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband without fear, or, or, or obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. That's pretty crazy to think about that. Sarah obeyed Abraham to the point where she called Abraham master. I know that's very anti-American, isn't it? 
You're like, I don't know about that, Pastor John. It's okay. Hold on. Hold on a minute. I'm, I'm getting with the women, but I'll get with the men in just a moment. Look at Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. So here's my point in giving you all of those verses. And it's not cherry-picked. It's synonymous all throughout the scripture. There is no doubt that God's expectation of a wife is to submit, respect, and yield to the authority of her husband. In light of scripture, it is clear that this is God's expectation. Can you say Amen. So not only does the Bible teach that women are to submit to their husbands, but look at this interesting thing. It said in Ephesians 5, it says, wives, not only submit, but submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Say, as to the Lord. What does that mean? When you submit to your husband as to the Lord, it actually means it means this, that you treat his authority as the Lord's authority. Can you think about that? You treat your husband's authority as the Lord's authority. So I'm going to simplify it even more. I'm going to give you a bold statement here. You guys ready for this? As long as the request, so I'm talking about men, husbands, in authority over their wives. As long as the request is not against the Bible, you should not treat it as optional. Think about that. As long as the request of your husband is not against the Bible, you should not treat it as optional. Do you treat the commands as Jesus commands in the word to be optional to us? To decide if I will or if I won't do it? No. Did it give, did it give you the impression that Sarah treated the command of Abraham when he said, let's get up and we're leaving today to go to the country that the Lord has showed us? Did she treat it as optional? No, it says that she submitted to him as her master. I, I, I know this is a tall order, but as long as the request is not against the Bible, you have to obey all authority until that authority tries to get you to contradict the word of God. The moment that a husband actually demands something of you that's contrary or a violation of God's word, you have an obligation to obey the word of God even over any authority, any human authority. You don't do it with a bad spirit. You don't do it with pride. You do it with humility, but you must obey the Lord. So listen to that again. As long as the request is not against the Bible, you should not treat it as optional. Again, y'all are like, all the men are like, praise God, Pastor John, this is awesome. My wives are just going to start being my slaves now. No, don't worry. I'll get to you in a minute. Because I know what you guys are thinking. Doesn't this give a lot of power to the husband? And I'm going to tell you that if the husband acts like a tyrannical dictator, this will cause problems in your marriage. I'll give you this last point. I have a couple more points about women. It is demonic and out of line for a woman to attempt to dominate her husband and usurp his authority. It is demonic and out of line for a woman to attempt to dominate her husband and usurp his authority. You need to understand that God operates through authority. When you rebel against God's instituted authority, you are actually rebelling against God. Look at Romans 13 too. See, anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. 
I want to make this statement, women, because I know that that was a lot, right? That was a lot. Say, Pastor John, that was a lot. Okay, but listen to this. You do not submit to your husband because you are less than or not capable. Listen to me, wives. You do not submit to your husband because you're less than him or you're not capable of doing what he can do. You are. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am. You know, a lot of you say, you know what? I am capable. And I'm going to tell you, I agree with you. You are capable. That's not what this is about. You submit to your husband in humility because it is what God has asked of you. Not because you're not capable, not because you're not adequate, not because you couldn't do it yourself, not because you're not just amazing and and you're a powerhouse and you can make it work. You do it because it's what God has asked of you. It's your role in the household. And I'll give you this last point, women, before I deal with the men. Honoring your husband will free him to be the man of God that the Lord has called him to be. I believe, according to the scripture, that a woman will either make or break a man. What a man becomes can be made or broken by the woman that he's in covenant with. And if you'll honor your husbands, and I know a lot of you may say, well, Brother John, my husband doesn't deserve that. You don't do it because he deserves it. You do it because the Lord asked you to do it. In fact, when you begin to honor in that way and say, you know what, I'm going to look past you and I'm going, to, I'm going to honor God by honoring you. I'm going to submit to God by submitting to your authority. Now, husbands, say husbands. The husband, number one, let's talk about the role of a husband. The husband is the head of the house. We just read that in 1 Corinthians 11.3, but there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Say the head. Husbands, you are the head of the house. And I got a lot of husbands saying, yep, I know it. I'm awesome. I lay the law down. What is the, I'm going to give you four functions. This didn't come from me. This actually came from Derek Prince. These are four functions of a head. Number one, first function of a head is it receives input from the body. What does the head do? The head receives input, right? You smack yourself on the hand, the signal goes up, and, and the head receives input from the body. Hey, something's hitting you. Hey, something's pinching you. Hey, something hurts. So just because you are the head, You are a fool to not listen to your wife's input and criticism. If you run your marriage like a tyrannical dictator who doesn't consider the input of his wife, you will end in utter ruin as a fool according to the Bible. What else does a head do? Number two, a head makes decisions. Number three, a head initiates actions. Number four, a head gives ongoing direction. Husbands, I'm going to tell you this. You need to tell your wife and your family where you're going in life. You need to lay out the blueprint. You know, one of the number one things that a husband is to bring to the marriage is security. Are you with me? And whenever, if you're a man and you're just blown around and you're just going with the wind, loosey-goosey, 
Whatever happens next year, next month, that brings no security to your wife and to your children. You are to give constant instruction. You need to get down to your wife and your children and be an encouragement. If you're in a hard place, you need to be able to look them in the eye and say, we may be in this hard place today, but let me tell you where we're going and let me tell you how we're going to get there. Let me tell you, honey, what I'm going to do this year to get us out of the situation that we're in. This is actually what God expects from us as husbands. So I want to make a big point here. Listen to this. Husbands, God has commanded your wife to submit to your authority, right? According to the Bible. But you will be judged harshly by the Lord if you misuse your authority to destroy her life and the life of your family. So although God, you're saying, man, that's tall orders. God's given me all this stuff. God's instructed. If my wife reads this Bible, she's going to see that she is to submit to me as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's absolutely true. And if you misuse that authority, God will judge you for destroying the life of your wives and your children and your family. So let's look at the roles of a husband. I just have a few more points here. Y'all okay? Can you guys give me another 13 minutes? What is a husband's role in a marriage? We said the wife's role was to what? Be a helper and to submit. But a husband, number one, what is a husband's role? Number one, love. Say love. Look at Ephesians 5, 25 to 29. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. Look at Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Say love. See, now it's a second correct, uh, instruction. And listen to that. Never treat them harshly. I've told you, man. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so goal-oriented. Sometimes that's all I see naturally is the goal. I see what needs to be done, and it's just like, okay, we need this to move and that to move. And, and guys, I'm going to tell you, when you get goal-oriented, that's great, but you can just begin to kind of look past some things sometimes, and, and, and you don't realize that you're getting a little bit harsh. Are you with me? So the Bible says, never treat your wife harshly. Well, Brother John, she really ticked me off, and I just let her have it. No, you're out of line. Never Treat her harshly, the Bible says. 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. And what it means by weaker, it doesn't mean spiritually weaker. It just means physically weaker, right? Have you all seen how these women are getting in the Olympics that are transgender, you know, men or transgender women that are going and like, oh my gosh, we've never had a woman run that fast in world history. Yeah, because that's not a woman. <laughs> we've never had a woman swim that fast. That's because that's not a woman. That's a man with some hair extensions. Here's the point. Men are biologically stronger than women are. 
I'm not saying every woman, that you know, there's some women, they could put a whooping on a man. There's no doubt. But just across the board, that's what that means. Okay, so it says, she may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Your equal partner. Say your equal partner. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, if we start treating our wives like junk, guess what? Our faith ain't going to work. So the main command that we just saw was for husbands to love their wives. Can you say amen? So let's ask this question. What does it mean to love? The Bible actually describes love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. So if I'm to love my wife, remember this. I am the head. Men, you're the authority. We walk around, oh yeah, I, what I say goes, I lay down the law, but then it says to love, and look what the attributes of love are. Love is patient. That means you must be patient with your wife. Love is kind, you must be kind. Love is not jealous. You can't be jealous with your wife. Love's not boastful, proud, or rude. You can't be boastful, proud, or rude to your wife. It does not demand its own way. So imagine that. God puts you in a place of authority in the household, but you don't use that authority like a tyrannical dictator. You don't demand your own way, even though it's your command to give. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. That, that, that right there, if you are to love your wife, guess what that'll do right there? That'll destroy divorce. How often does it give up? It says it never gives up. It never loses faith, and it's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. So the number one role of a husband is the love. Number two, the role of a husband. Provide, say provide. Look at 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, I put the wrong verse up. Put, okay, so it says this, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So guess what? As a man, your role is to provide for your wife and for your children. Man, I want you to say this. Say, it's my job to provide for my wife and my family. Now get this in your mouth. Get this in your mind. Get this in your mouth. It's not the government's job to provide for me. It's not my father's job. It's not my mother's job. It's not anybody else's job. It is my job to take care of my wife and my family. And in fact, if I'm a, a man that refuses to do that, you know, guys, I don't understand. It's like there's certain men, they refuse. I just, I have a hard time waking up in the morning, so I can't hold a job down. Put your big boy pants on, put your boots on, and get to work. God expects it of you. In fact, it says you can claim to be a Christian, but if you refuse to acknowledge this, it says you're actually worse than an infidel before God. It's my job. And then you need to get it in you too as a man. I understand that we go through different things and maybe you're in a circumstance where you're saying that's just not my reality right now. I can't by myself pay all the bills so that my wife could take care of the children and we don't have to live that kind of separate life. That's okay. You can use your faith, but you need to know where you're going. You need to start believing God for that kind of opportunity in your life. And you need to put the work ethic behind it. 
Hallelujah. Well, if I'm going to take care of my family, I'm going to have to work 40 hours a week, and I'm probably going to need to put about 10 hours of overtime in to really take care of things, and I just really don't want to do that. That'll cut into my Facebook time, and that'll cut into me watching Netflix, and that'll cut into me just sitting on the couch and doing absolutely nothing. If I do that, I'm going to have to work long, and I'm going to have to work hard. Good. Hallelujah. Guess what? As a man, what does God expect of you and expect of me? Make it happen. Well, is it going to cost me something? Yes, but that's part of love. It says that the way that Christ loved the church is he laid down his life for her. You know, that means that I'm willing. I'm willing to get these things dirty. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen, to take care of this person that God has entrusted to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what is the role of a man? Say provide. What else is the role of a man? Number three, the, main, the man is to be the main source of Bible teaching in the home. Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. Husband, love your wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Okay, so... Let me pull something out here. Is this helping anybody today? Hopefully it is. The, the way that Christ, it says Christ washed the bride, washed the church with the water of the word, and we are to love our wives in the same way. So what does that mean? That we should be the source of the word of God going forth in our homes. Again, why is it most of the time in a marriage, the women are the ones that are more on fire for God? Why is it statistically that you really see, I'm telling you, as a national statistic, women are coming to church and they're lucky if they can drag their husband with them. Guys, I'm telling you, us men, we've got to step it up. Are you with me? It is not the wife's place to be the spiritual uh, authority in the home. The men should be the source. The men should be driving the ship, right? I told you that it's the men's job to give constant instruction. Do you know that even statistically, it's like, it's crazy that if a child gets saved, if you have a household where no one's saved, right? You got a man, a woman, and children. No one's saved in the whole household. If the child gets saved and the parents don't, there's like a, a 5% or 10% chance that the parents get saved. If the wife gets saved but the husband doesn't, there's like a 15 or 20% chance that the whole family gets saved. But did you know statistically that if the man gets saved in that household, there's like an 85 to 95% chance statistically that the wife, the children, and the entire family get saved. Why? Because God has given men the place of spiritual authority. It is not your wife's job to drag our sorry butts to church. Us as men, we've got to rise up and pave the path and tell our children, you're going to go. Hallelujah. This is what you're going to do. This is what we're going to do as a family. And you have got to give the constant instruction and steer the ship of your family spiritually. This is way out of order in America. you got women that are on fire for God and the men... Most of the time, maybe not in this church, but most of the time, walking around like lethargic, backslidden Christians. Are you all with me? 
I'm also going to give you this point about men. Men will be accountable for the spiritual condition of his family. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came into the garden, and who did he address? Eve or Adam? He addressed Adam. But didn't the woman, wasn't she the one that was deceived? Yes, but Adam was the one that was the authority over Eve. So what does that mean? That God held Adam responsible for the spiritual condition and the mistake of the family. Men, you are to make decisions. You are to give constant instruction. Hallelujah. Guys, I know I'm telling you, but us as men, we're going to give an account for our wives. Are you with me? We're going to give an account for our children. We're going to give an account for the spiritual condition of the family. Because I'm telling you, if you want a family to get on fire for God, let the man first get on. I'm not talking about religious. I'm not talking about we'll go to church or maybe I'll read the Bible. I'm talking about if the man will get on fire for the Lord, watch the entire family get on fire for God. Every time, I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen it happen again and again and again that if the, if the fire of God can catch in that man's heart, the whole family will begin to chase after God. The man's job, and this is my final point this morning, the man's job is to nourish and cherish his wife. Ephesians 5.29 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. It's your job, men, to nourish and cherish your wife. I'm going to give you this point. Your wife is a reflection of you. Your wife is a reflection of you. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven seven. It says, for man indeed ought to not cover his head since he's made in the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of a man. A woman is the glory of a man. A woman, a man is truly seen in his wife. Amen. I've heard this said. This was actually Derek Prince that said this as well. Someone asked about a man of God, and they said, is that truly a man of God? And the person responded and says, I don't know. I haven't met his wife yet. Right? You go to a conference. You go to church. You see this man. It's hallelujah. They're happy. They're ecstatic. They're ex all these great things. And Is that truly a man of God? They say all the right things. They dress the part. They look the part. They smell the part. He says, I don't know if it truly is a man of God. I need to meet his wife first to see who he really is. Why? Because the wife is a reflection of the man. Hallelujah. His wife will tell you all that you need to know about him. He can smile, he can act holy, but if you look at the wife and the wife is miserable and the kids are miserable, you know that there's something wrong. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So underneath this point, Men, it's our job to give gifts to our wives. Thanks for the one amen. Ephesians 4, 8, therefore, talking about Christ, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to the church. He gave gifts. Say, give gifts. So, husbands, I'm going to give you this instructions. Husbands, stop being frugal with your wives. Come on. This is not the character of Christ. 
Women, I'm telling you, Christmas time's rolling around. Husbands, I'm going to give you an instruction here. Deck your wives out to the best of your ability. Thank you for the one amen. I understand. I'm not expecting you to go get in credit card debt and do, but to the best of your ability, the character of Christ is to give gifts to the church. And as men, it's our job to cherish, to nourish, to give gifts to our wives. I want you to say this, deck her out, because ultimately I'm telling you something. Guys, your wife is a reflection of you. What do you think it says of a man if your wife looks like she's been drugged through the mud and frontwards and backwards and, you know, I mean, it's, deck your wife out. I want you to say this, say, my wife comes before me. That means that if I need a shirt and she needs a shirt and we can only buy one shirt, she gets the shirt before I get the shirt. If I need a pair of shoes and she needs a pair of shoes and we can only get one pair of shoes, she gets the pair of shoes before I get the pair of shoes. That's what it means to lay your life down for your wife. You got all these men, you know, they'll cry and complain. My birthday rolled around and you didn't get me a gift. You didn't get me a Christmas present. And they just, they, get over it. Stop crying. It's not the wife's job to give gifts to the husband. It's the husband's job to deck out his wife. Can someone say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Conclusion with this. Wives, if you will honor and respect your husbands as you should, things will go well for you. Husbands, if you will love and cherish your wife as you should, things will go well for you. Can someone say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Interesting word this morning. I hope it blessed you. I'm going to pray over you this morning. Amen. Y'all ready for me to pray? Come on, I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord, and I'm just going to declare a blessing over your life. Father, bless these people in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that the word penetrates their hearts. I thank you, Lord, that the word comes and brings sweet conviction that's sweet like honey, that if any of us in this room could say, man, I've been missing that. You're not here to condemn us, Lord. You're here to help us, that we would respond today by just coming into alignment with your word. And I thank you that you'll give us the grace. You'll help us fulfill all that you've said in this word. We give you the praise, the honor, the glory in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If you believe it and you receive it, I want you to just shout amen to the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise one more time. Praise God. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.